Let's pray as we uh, turn again to God's word. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that your word is uh, firmer than the ground beneath our feet. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your words will never pass away. Lord, it's by your word that we live and not by bread alone. So as we uh, come to consider your word this morning, we pray that you would feed us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to take hold of your word by faith and to live in the light of it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Somebody uh, must be lying. The teacher hadn't seen uh, what happened in the, in the playground. Uh, she'd had a, a back turned when the, the fight had started. Uh, but now she's got uh, two children uh, stood before her and she's got two uh, conflicting stories. Two stories, very different stories. And somebody uh, must be lying. That's the only uh, conclusion the uh, teacher can draw. If you're a parent, you probably, you probably know that scenario well as well. This morning we're going to look at uh, Matthew's account of the, the resurrection. Uh, and we're going to see at that first Easter that there are two uh, different stories that kind of race away from the empty tomb. Two different explanations. Uh, and somebody is lying. Somebody is lying to us this morning. Someone's lying uh, to you. Get into the, the, the truth uh, in, a, in a playground squabble uh, probably isn't that significant. Get into the truth uh, of these two stories uh, that race away from the empty tomb is, is of monumental uh, significance. It couldn't really be, be more important. So keep that in mind as we look at this account that somebody is, is lying to you. As we uh, look at this story, that's what we're going to do this morning, just go through Matthew's account. We're going to look at it in, in three scenes. Two of the scenes uh, take place on the Easter uh, Sunday morning, uh, and one of the scenes takes place the day before uh, on the Saturday. So the first scene takes place on the Saturday, uh, and uh, I've entitled this scene, Preventing Deception. Preventing deception, that's what the Saturday is all about. Uh, so look at verse 62. Uh, the next day, that's, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees are gathered before Pilate. So this is the day after Jesus has been crucified. Uh, that's the, the Sabbath day, the Saturday, a day where usually the religious leaders would have been resting. Uh, but here, in fact, they are, they're, they're really really busy. Uh, the Pharisees uh, are there and they're, they're making their way towards Pilate, the Roman governor. This was the governor who had overseen Jesus' trial. Uh, why are the religious leaders going to Pilate? Well, they're going as part of uh, an anti-fraud department. That's, that's at least what they, they claim. They're working to combat a fraudster. That's Jesus. That's what they think of Jesus. He's a, he's a fraud. Uh, they call him in verse uh, 63 an, an imposter who's been making dangerous and false claims. Uh, Jesus has claimed to be the Christ, uh, the Messiah, God's long-awaited king. Jesus has claimed to be the, the son of God. Uh, and as far as the Pharisees 
believe. These are all lies. In fact, they're, they're worse than lies. These claims are blasphemous. So blasphemous that they had to hang Jesus on a cross. And they'd also heard another of, of Jesus' claims. They've heard, heard Jesus claim that, yes, he, he will die, but three days later, he will rise again. So this is what they say to Pilate. Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days, I will rise again. And it's this claim that's now their, their real concern. Remember, over the last week, the week leading up uh, to the crucifixion, that Jerusalem has, has, has really been uh, full of the news of, of Jesus. The city has been buzzing about this man who teaches with authority, who who heals miraculously, this man who's gone into the temple and turned all the tables upside down. There's great hope that this Jesus uh, is the Messiah. And the religious leader's concern is that in that kind of climate, if, if kind of rumors of a resurrection get out, uh, well, they will, they will take root quite quickly. And so that's why they've, they've come to see uh, Pilate on, on the Sabbath of all days, verse 64, this is what they want from Pilate. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal, away, steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. They found it difficult to try and keep a lid on Jesus' claims to be the Messiah. If news gets out that Jesus has has risen and people start to believe that, that would be a disaster. So, so sealing the tomb is their kind of insurance against the resurrection. And so Pilate, he tells them uh, to guard the tomb. He says, make it as secure as you can. And that's exactly what they do, isn't it? They, verse, verse 66, so they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. A military guard and, a, and an official seal that's the, the first century equivalent of a bank vault. That's what they're doing. They are trying to prevent fraud, at least that's what it seems like on the surface. So that's the first scene in, in this uh, resurrection account, preventing fraud. The second scene, uh, Easter Sunday morning, is discovering resurrection. Discovering resurrection. It's not an account of how Jesus was raised from the dead when the women arrived. Jesus is already alive. It's, a, it's an account of how the resurrection was discovered. It takes place early, early Sunday morning uh, in the dark, just before the dawn. Uh, and you can see from verse 28 that this, the scene takes place at the tomb of Jesus. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And these uh, two Marys that have come to see the tomb are, are in for a, a, a great shock. Listen to what happens. There was a violent earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and go into the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. What a, what a sight that would have been, wouldn't it, to be there on that uh, first Easter Sunday morning. And remember those guards who had been uh, posted uh, as kind of insurance against the resurrection. Uh, see what happens to them. They become like uh, dead men. This angel sitting on the tomb has news for the, 
the two Marys. Do not, do not be afraid, the angel says. The first words uh, spoken by the empty tomb. Do not be afraid. These grieving friends who were looking for Jesus, do not be afraid, the angel says. He's not here. He has risen uh, just as he said. Jesus said he was going to Jerusalem, he was going to be crucified, and he was going to rise again. Three times in Matthew's gospel, uh, it's recorded that he makes this, this claim. Here it is from uh, chapter 16. As Jesus heads toward Jerusalem. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and on the third day be raised again. He'd explain the necessity of this first Easter to his disciples. And as, as the angels speak with the women at the tomb, uh, they remind the women of, of just what Jesus had said. And these two Marys are the first to discover the resurrection. They're sent on a mission. And the angel tells them to, to come and see. Come and see the, the place where he lay. And then after that, they're to, to go, and, go and tell. Go quickly, tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him. So off they go to tell the disciples with this uh, strange mixture of fear uh, and joy in, in their hearts. And as they're on their way to, to meet the disciples, someone else visits them. It's the risen uh, Lord Jesus. Appears to these two Marys. This is a day like no other, other, other day for them. It makes me smile. If you look, uh, the first thing Jesus says to them, uh, greetings. <laughs> Hello. It seems so ordinary, doesn't it? It is ordinary. They'd only seen him three days before, in a way. But this day, everything is different. Jesus is now alive from the dead and they kneel and worship him this is a, a life-changing day it's a it's a world a world-changing day and then uh, the two marys they hear the same words that the messenger the angel had spoken but this time they hear it from the lips of jesus exactly the same words do not be afraid go and tell my brothers to go to galilee and there they will see me and these two women become the first uh, witnesses to the resurrection. I think it's uh, really significant that these are, are two women, that they're the first uh, witnesses to the resurrection. If Matthew is the one that's lying to us, and he was inventing this whole Easter uh, Sunday morning story of the resurrection, he certainly wouldn't have chosen Mary and Mary as his, uh, as his first witnesses. In the first century, the testimony of a woman was much less valid than a testimony of, of a man. Much less reliable, it was considered. And, and yet here, at the outset of this uh, resurrection story, there's these two Marys entrusted uh, to spread the message of good news. So that's the second scene, discovering resurrection. Preventing deception, uh, discovering resurrection, and then the, th the third uh, scene is about promoting deception. <laughs> promoting deception. 
This is verses 10 to 15. As the two Marys head off to find the disciples, uh, the guards come to their senses. And they head off uh, away from the tomb as well. But they're not going to find uh, the disciples. They're going uh, straight to their bosses, the, the chief priests, the Pharisees. The people who were concerned about Jesus being an imposter. These were the people Jesus encountered in the temple that we looked at last week who questioned his authority. These were the people who, 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 who kind of mocked Jesus on the cross and said, if you come down from there, then we will believe in you. And the guards, they, they tell uh, the religious leaders everything that's happened, the earthquakes, the angels, uh, the empty tomb. And then the chief priests do what they always do when they're confronted with difficult questions and difficult circumstances. They come together uh, and they uh, start to plot. Verse 12. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were still asleep. Now the very people who, who seemed to be all about preventing deception are, are throwing bags of money around in order to promote deception. The very people who said to Jesus that if he came down from the cross, they would believe in him. And the very people, uh, when confronted with the, the news that he's alive, try to suppress the truth. What do you make of uh, their story? His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. I think that's a pretty poor effort, isn't it? It's kind of on a par with the, the dog ate my my homework, isn't it? <laughs> just, just think about it for a moment. A single soldier falling asleep on duty, that would be an offense that would, would cost him his life. It would rarely happen. A whole group of soldiers all falling asleep uh, together and facing no consequences from the boss. What about the disciples managing to move the stone without disturbing the soldiers? This stone would have been a huge weight it would have been propped open and then it would have rolled down a hill into a groove over the, over the tomb. I think these fishermen could have uh, moved that on their own without disturbing the soldiers. And if, if the soldiers were asleep, how, how did they know it was the disciples? How did they know the disciples stole the body? And if they woke up and saw the disciples, why not just go and catch them? The disciples making off with Jesus' dead body, they're not going to be able to move fast, are they? They're going to be no match uh, for the Roman soldiers. This is a, a, pretty, uh, a pretty poor story. And yet these guards with their, their pockets full of silver, they head out into the city and they tell this story. And it's this story that gains traction. Why? Because it's the, it's the official story. It's the story that the leaders back. Listen there, verse 15. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. As we look at this account of the first Easter this morning, someone, someone must be lying. There's no credible historians that would deny the fact that there was a man called Jesus who lived a remarkable 
life, who did extraordinary things, who lived in Nazareth, who was crucified around AD 30. But after that, there's just these two accounts. The first one, the disciples stole his body. The second, he is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Someone is lying to you. On one side, there's the two Marys, there's Jesus, and there's Matthew, the writer of this gospel. It's clear where, what he believes to be the truth. History would tell us that eventually Matthew, who wrote this gospel, one of the disciples, would go on to give his life for the truth of the resurrection. And on the other side, there's the chief priests and the Pharisees, the one who, who, who invent the story of the disciples stealing the body. There's the, the two options, the only two options that people in the first century believed. I wonder uh, this morning, which one are you going to believe? Disciples stole the body. He is not here. He is risen, uh, just as he said. Let's think about those uh, two options and the implications of them. The first, why might people believe that the disciples stole the body? We've already said that's, that was the official line from the authorities at the time. Also, the resurrection uh, account is it's hard to believe. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Jesus crucified and three days later rising again. But I think at root, the reason uh, why people believe that the disciples stole the body story is because it's convenient. It's because it's convenient. It was certainly more convenient for those guards, wasn't it, who, who went into the city and spread the story. The disciples stole the body story, meant that they would get a pocket full of money. And it was convenient because it meant life could just go on as it, it was before. It meant they could go back to the te- temple, they could return the tables uh, back right side up, they could invite the money changers back in. Life could just go on as it was before in Jerusalem. Nothing had to change. The resurrection of Jesus, the fact that this man has defeated death, will turn our world upside down. But the story of the guards is the convenient story. It's the, it's the path of least resistance. It means nothing has to change. Maybe that someone uh, listening this morning is, is going along with the story, the disciples stole the body. There's, there's, there's nothing to, to see here. I want to suggest to you that if that's you, that's the convenient option. It means you can just carry on with life and live out the next 20, 40, uh, 60 years, however long you've got, as you see fit. If that's you, I want you to see something else about the disciples stole the body story. Because the disciples stole the body story may be convenient, but it ultimately means death. It might be convenient now, but it ultimately means death. In, the, uh, in Matthew's account of the events of Easter, there are two earthquakes mentioned. Two earthquakes. One we saw on Good Friday happened when Jesus died. The other one is here when the angel comes down and opens the tomb. Two earthquakes. Now, I think we're meant to compare the two. So Matthew 27, when Jesus died, uh, verse 51, it says, The earth shook, rocks were split, 
Tombs also were opened, and many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep uh, came to life. The saints mentioned there, they're not, they're not perfect people. They're not people who, who managed to get a church named after them. The saints are people who have, who have believed the truth of, of God's word. And on Easter Sunday morning, this is what happens to those uh, saints. Uh, it says, they're coming out of their tombs after his resurrection. They went into the holy city and appeared to many. That's the first earthquake. These saints come to, come to life. Compare that with what happens at the, the second earthquake on, on Easter Sunday morning. Did you notice what happened to the guards and the way it's described? These guards that have suppressed the truth. It says that they become like dead men. They're so terrified and they become like dead men. Do you see the contrast? At the earthquake in death of Jesus, the saints' graves are open and they come to life. At the earthquake in resurrection morning, the empty tomb, those that are opposed to the resurrection uh, drop dead. These are earthquakes, I think they're uh, ap- apocalyptic. Kind of, it's like end of the world language. Uh, apocalyptic, that word just means uh, to reveal or, or to uncover. I think as we look at these uh, two earthquakes, they're, they're revealing how things ultimately are. They're, they're revealing how things will be at the end. The resurrected saints, they go into the holy city and populate the holy city. Those who oppose Jesus are enshrouded in death. That first option, believing the disciples stole the body, seems convenient now. It means you can get on with your life without paying attention to Jesus. But in the end, it brings eternal death. That's the the first option but I'm, sh- I'm sure for many of this morning in God's grace we, we've become we've come to believe the message of the angels the good news that the women took from the tomb the good night na- good news that the, those disciples have proclaimed throughout the world he is not here he has risen just as he said and this message of the crucified and risen Jesus brings brings life The resurrection of Jesus means that in his death, uh, Christ has defeated death. And so the words of Jesus echo down the centuries to us this morning. As we live uh, in a world where the fear of death is, is all around us, Jesus' words come to us and he says, do not, do not be afraid. For those who, who know that Jesus has risen, death need not hold any fear. If we, uh, if we all live long enough, we will all face the grave. But the graves of those who belong to Jesus are already broken open and the light is, is shining in. Just as it was at that first earthquake on Good Friday, when we know there isn't Jesus, death, death is not a prison, it's a door. Death is not the end. It's, it's just the beginning. It's not an exit. It's an entrance. Death is not the darkest winter. It's, it's the first day of spring. Death holds no fear for those who know that Jesus has risen. He is not here, but he has risen. It's the story that brings life. 
And it's a story that also means we have to change. And this is the note that Matthew finishes his gospel on. At the end of, of the book, the focus isn't on the hope that the resurrection brings in the face of death. The hope uh, is on the significance of the resurrection uh, in that it confirms that Jesus has all authority. That's, that's the note that sounded right at the end of, of the gospel. When the risen Jesus meets with his disciples, look at what he says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Believe in the message, he is not here, he has risen just as he said. That inevitably means change because it means that Jesus has all authority. It means there's no part of our lives over which Jesus does not have authority. No area which we can say, sorry Jesus, don't, don't go there. This is, this, is my, this is my space. It means that the only appropriate response to the risen Jesus is to do what the two Marys did, is just to fall at his feet and to worship him. He has authority over all things. Believing the message of the resurrection brings life. And it means we must change. It means we must turn to Jesus to trust and follow him. The resurrection, it, it changes everything. Shall we pray? Dear Lord God, we thank you for your word to us. 